So if you have been here over the last few weeks, you'll know that we have just finished our latest series of these big questions, um, the last two of which were definitely a bit heavy. So I thought this week we would borrow a phrase from Monty Python, and now for something completely different, which actually originated with Blue Peter. Not a lot of people know that, as Michael Caine used to say. So rather than looking at a theme or a question this week, we're going to be doing a bit of Bible study. We're going to be looking at a passage in a book called 1 Corinthians from the New Testament. And it's the first of two letters written by the Apostle Paul to one of the early churches in a place called Corinth. Now, Paul is the most well-known of the early church planters, and he wrote more of the books in the New Testament than anyone else although he didn't write most of it by word count, only about 20% or so. In fact, Luke actually wrote more than Paul did. Not a lot of people know that either. (laughs) So when people try to tell you that, uh, oh, Paul wrote the New Testament and invented Christianity, then you can tell them in the nicest possible way that that is nonsense and to find a, a better reason for not believing. Anyway, everything that uh, Paul wrote was uh, a letter to a group of Christians in a particular place, and usually a particular city. And the passage that we're going to look at in a moment is one where Paul is talking about the church. So there's a few things that I, I think are worth knowing before we start. One is that the Bible never talks about the church as a building. It never talks about it as an event. And it never talks about going to church. Instead, it always talks about being church. What it means to be church or to be part of church. And the other thing worth knowing, as we discovered last week when we were talking about how Jesus saves us, is that the Bible loves using metaphors as its vehicle for teaching us spiritual truths. Now, you probably know that a metaphor is kind of like picture language. It uses words to paint a picture of something which helps us to visualise that thing way better than just giving us a statement of facts. And it's a, a genius way of teaching. Like when Jesus told parables, he was painting pictures from everyday life to teach us spiritual truths. And what's genius about this way of teaching is that it engages our imagination as well. It is easy for us to remember. And although we might need a little bit of help with some of them, uh, especially those that are rooted in first century culture, it's amazing quite how timeless most of those metaphors and those parables are. They pretty much still work for us today. So when it comes to what the Bible has to say about the church, it's not surprising that it uses lots of metaphors. Someone called Frank Viola said that there are 14 different metaphors, 14 different pictures. And one of the things that they all have in common is that none of them are talking about you and me as individuals. They're all talking about all of us together. So when we read these metaphors and these pictures of church in the Bible, we need to be asking ourselves, 
Does my understanding of church, does the way that I think of church and the way that I'm personally doing church, does that correspond to how the Bible is picturing the church? Am I doing church like that? Is that how I'm involved in church? Or am I just going to it? Now, some of his 14 images are a bit more obscure than others, but these are the main ones. The church is a family. The church is an extended family. The church is a priesthood. In other words, everyone who's there is there to minister to God and to minister to each other, not just to be ministered to. The church is a bride, and of course Jesus is the bridegroom. And the church is a building, but not a physical building. Remember that this is a metaphor, it's a picture. So the building here is not something like the vineyard centre. It is us, you and me. And it's not just any old building. It's a particular kind of building, a temple. And you know that the significance of a temple is that that was understood to be the dwelling place of God on earth. So the church is where and how we experience God's presence in a special way. Now, the other thing about these metaphors is, do you see how intimate they are? They're picturing intimacy with God and intimacy with each other. Even that building metaphor, what it's picturing is how closely we are joined to each other. It says in 1 Peter 2.5, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. Turn to the person next to you, if you would, and say, I'm so pleased that God is building me into his temple right next to you. (laughs) One or two horrified looks. Okay, let's quickly move on before we lose half the congregation or you'll make a point of sitting somewhere else next week. But here's the question that we need to be asking ourselves this morning. Am I doing church like that? Do these metaphors reflect the way that I'm involved in church? Or am I just going to it? And remember that the question isn't just whether I feel that church is providing all of these things for me as a consumer. Because the church doesn't do anything. The church is only and always all of us. We're all called to be it for each other, not just to receive it for ourselves. And a good way to think about how that works is that building imagery, where each of us is like a brick. So have a look at this picture. How many other bricks is each of us joined to? Six. Thank you very much. And how many more bricks are we close to through those six? You're useless. Another 12. Another 12. Now, there's always going to be a limit to how many people we can be 
very closely connected to in church, isn't there? But if every single one of us was saying, how can I minister to six other people this week? How can I be a blessing to six people this week? Which is just another way of saying, how can I be church to six people this week? Or if my circumstances mean I've got a bit more capacity, how can I be church to just some of those extra 12 people as well? Just think how many people we will be caring for as a church. Now, you may say, well, hold on, Steve. Why are you talking about me doing the caring, about me being a blessing, about me being church to other people? Who's going to look after me and bless me and be church for me? And, of course, the answer is, if we're all doing it, then we will all be receiving it as well, won't we? Wouldn't it be wonderful for every single one of us to have six other people all looking out for us and praying for us and taking an interest in us and being church for us this week. And the way for that to happen for us is for us to be church for six other people in the same way. Now I understand that obviously there will be times when we're simply not able to do that for other people to that same extent when we just need to receive. And that's obviously fine for a season. It's interesting that the numbers may be coincidental perhaps, but 6 to 12 is the typical number that you'd find in a connect group. And that is far and away the easiest place to be church for each other and to be joined to each other. Six to 12 people is also the typical number who you find serving in a team on a Sunday morning. The kids team, the welcome team, the hospitality team, and so on. And if everyone who goes to church was also being church through a connect group and serving on a team, then we would have nobody feeling left out or not feeling looked after if we were all being church in just those two ways, let alone all the other ways that we can minister to each other and bless each other during the week. Okay, so let's have a look at our passage in 1 Corinthians 12 in in a moment. And here we will see that Paul is saying some of these same things using another metaphor that we haven't yet mentioned. He's picturing the church as a body. And not just any old body, but the body of Christ. And that, of course, is a very intimate picture as well. And uh, as we read this passage, I want us to remember that Paul here was not writing a theology paper. He wasn't giving a lecture in a Bible school. He was writing to a real church and real people. He actually intended that they should get something out of this and start to apply it in their own lives, to do something with it. Rather like Jesus said, to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word as well. So when Paul is talking here about you, funnily enough, he means you. Turn to the person next to you, if you would, and say to them, he's talking about you. 
Then say to them, good grief, they actually intend us to put all this stuff into practice. <laughs> Whatever next? <laughs> Funny sort of church, some of you are thinking. So I want you to imagine that uh, Paul is writing not to people in a church in Corinth at all, but to us as people in a church in Aylesbury. Imagine that he is talking to you and he's talking about us. Okay, this is 1 Corinthians 12 from verse 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye, the visionary prophetic people, can never say to the hand, the practical people, I don't need you. And even the head, who is Jesus, can't say to the feet, those who feel they're the lowest of the low in the body, only there to be stood on, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important, I wonder if that's how you feel, are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honourable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honourable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honour and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. Isn't that nice? This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members... All the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honoured, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Do you get his point, people? All of us is all of us is all of us. So what I'd like to do in the next uh, 10 minutes or so is to look at three things that we see in this passage about the body of Christ that we need to put into action if we want to be church the way God wants us to be. And I say we need to put into action because although Jesus says, I will build my church, Matthew 16, he's given us the blueprints in scripture in passages like this one. So thus saith the Lord, get on with it and do it. Okay, number one. We are only the church as God intended. We're only the body of Christ if ethnicity doesn't matter and social status doesn't matter. 
In fact, where we don't even notice those things because we are so taken up with what we have in common instead. Uh, Verses 13 and 14 say this. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But, but, we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit. And if you haven't been baptized, you can be baptized on Easter Sunday. And we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. Okay, so a Jew is someone who isn't a Gentile. A Gentile is someone who isn't a Jew. Between those two categories, that is everyone, the whole human race. Now, Jew and Gentile was the big distinction in the first century. For us in the 21st century, it's probably black and white. But Paul is saying that the church is all of us, and it has to be all of us, just as the body has many parts, not just one part. And then the same thing is true of Paul's other distinction between slave and free. Again, those were the only two options. You were either a slave or you were free. So we don't want to be a church of just white people or just black people because if we are, then we are not the body of Christ as God intends it to be. And we don't want to be all middle class or all working class or all married with kids or all single or all of anything that isn't reflecting the whole of our society. And that's what we mean in the vineyard when we say we want to be inclusive and we invite people to come as you are. All shapes and types and ages. Every type of person whom God has made and who God loves with a love that passes all understanding. You see, because if we're not that, if, if underneath we're really only interested in being part of a church made up of people like us, then we may have a very smart-looking church on the outside, but we'll be failing Jesus on the inside. We'll be doing what so many people do, which is to build a church in our image and likeness, just one kind of image, rather than his image, which includes everyone, because all of us is made in his image. The uh, division of nations and ethnicities and the hostility between them was all a consequence of the fall in Genesis. And if you know the story, it's pictured in what happened at the Tower of Babel, where different languages and cultures came about and divided humanity. And then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in the book of Acts That was the beginning of the reversal of that division, where it says that everyone heard the wonders of God in their own language. And through the Holy Spirit, we came to be brought back together, one people and one language again. It was a sign of the kingdom breaking into this world through Jesus, one of the ways that he began reversing the consequences of the fall. So we need to recognize that and get on board with what the Holy Spirit is doing in how we do church as well. We need to align ourselves with what happened at Pentecost 
rather than what happened at Babel. And what we see here is uh, Paul linking our oneness in the body of Christ to the role of the Holy Spirit, focusing on the Holy Spirit whom we have in common instead of things that might naturally keep us apart. We've been baptised into one body, not many different bodies for different types of people. We're a body of many kinds of part, not just one kind of part. If we look at the way that heaven is pictured in the book of Revelation, this is what we see there. We see a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes together. So if that is what heaven is going to be like, why don't we start practicing that now? Number two, we are only the church as God intended, we're only the body of Christ, when every single one of us is in our rightful place in the body. Now, as you probably know, we don't have formal membership in the vineyard. But that doesn't mean that we don't have members in the sense of limbs and body parts. So if you'll forgive the slightly graphic imagery, we are a membered body in the opposite sense to being a dismembered body. In other words, we're members in our rightful place in the body, where God has a special and unique place for each one of us, and a special and unique part for us to play. But if we are not joined, and we're not playing our part in the way that he wants us to and has called us to, if we're just a spare part, not functioning as we should be, then we end up the weaker for it, and more importantly, the body ends up the weaker for it as well. So what is stopping some of us? Well, if we look at what Paul says in this passage, it seems to be to do with personal insecurity and self-doubt. Over half of this passage is about that one way or another. We're overly focusing on who we're not, rather than who we are. Wrongly focusing on how we see ourselves rather than how God sees us. That might be because of our ethnicity or our culture or our social standing or our age or our personality type or any one of a host of other reasons why we disqualify ourselves. Even though God has that special and unique place for us. We say, I'm not really part of this body, or I'm not valued, or actually I'm not needed because I'm not this or I'm not that. So I'll just sit quietly at the back. But what does God say about us in this passage? A couple of quick things. He says God has put each part just where he wants it. He says how strange a body it would be if it had only one part. And he says some parts of the body that seem the weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. If you feel like you are a part of the body that seems weakest and least important, 
then may I suggest that he is talking to you this morning because you're actually the most necessary. So it's time to start believing it. There are no bits in the body that don't do anything and that aren't worth anything. I will make an exception for the appendix. I have no idea what the appendix does. So if you want to make a case that you're the appendix, then that's fine, come and chat to me later. Uh, But be careful because as soon as an appendix starts grumbling, what does the doctor always want to do? Take it out. Trust me, I'm a doctor. (laughs) Thank you, thank you very much. Thank you, both of you, I appreciate that. Um, If you uh, read this chapter in um, some of the other translations, particularly the older ones, uh, it talks about God having composed the body so as to give more honour to what it calls the less presentable parts, whereas the more presentable parts don't have need of it. God forbid that we should ever speak of any of our parts here as less presentable. But when Paul says that, he isn't reflecting what God thinks of us. What he's talking about is human nature. Human nature is to think that way. So God counteracts that by giving more honour to anybody who feels that way and who others might see that way. So we need to be counteracting that as well. We need to get our model of church in line with his model. And that is why our worship bands will never only be made up of young and beautiful people. It's why... Now, don't, don't start thinking about today's worship band. That's not my point at all. Yet again, you misunderstood me. That's also why the highest age... <laughs> that wasn't supposed to be funny. Um, there's a funny bit later, but that wasn't, this wasn't it. Um, but this is why the highest age category in our church database will never be over 35, both of which are the case in another movement that some people think is much the same as the vineyard. Folks, it is time for us to value weakness over power. We don't need more of the power ministry model of powerful, impressive people acting powerfully and impressively on stage. We need more of the power-weakness model. Ordinary people doing the stuff in a very ordinary kind of way. Because God doesn't say the power of Christ is perfected in your strength. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. What he says is, the power of Christ is perfected in your weakness. He says, my grace is sufficient. So we can't add anything power-wise. So my advice, if you're coming up for prayer later in the ministry time, my advice is to choose the person who you think looks the least powerful, the least impressive, and the least likely to pray a wonderful-sounding prayer. Now that should screw up the ministry time, shouldn't it? (laughs) Lots of people standing with no one wanting to be prayed for. Ask them to pray for you instead because it's all about the gift, not the wrapper that it comes in. 
And then finally, number three, we are only the church as God intended. We're only the body of Christ when all the members care for each other. That's verse 25. Not just Steve and Lynn caring. Now, Steve and Lynn do care, and we're always available to see anyone who would like to see us. We've never once in six years here, never once said no to anyone who asked. But the pastoral care in the church is not the two of us. It's the all of us. But the parts of the body can only care for the other parts of the body if all of the parts are joined. You know what happens to a limb if it isn't joined to the body as it's supposed to be? What happens is that it withers and dies. The church was not supposed to be a warehouse of spare body parts. Every single one of us was made and meant to be joined so that we can experience health in the body and love in the body and growth in the body. And all of which comes about as a byproduct of us being joined and us functioning as we should be. It comes from all of us who are in the body of Christ being the body of Christ. Because the body doesn't grow because of what Steve does or Lynn does. The body grows because that's what a healthy body just naturally does. Uh, Ephesians 4 says this, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what? By what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part. And it's that, it's that that causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So the church is not fitted and held together by what Stephen Lynn supply or the pastoral team supplies, but by what every joint supplies. And the joints, the joints are the relationships. The joints are the joining. And it's the proper working of each of these individual parts that causes the growth of the body as well and the building up of itself in love. The NLT translation puts that last verse very nicely. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Maybe I can ask the young and beautiful Mike Cartwright to come back. (laughs) So I wonder... What might God be saying to you about your part in the body this morning? About your joining? About your place in his body? Maybe you've always thought of yourself as one of those less presentable members. Maybe you've always focused on what you're not and who you're not instead of what and who Jesus has made you. Well, may I suggest that it's time to be healed of that this morning? That it's time to change your mind and get your thinking about you in line with God's thinking about you. 
Maybe you've allowed insecurity and self-doubt that we have read about in that passage. Maybe you've allowed that to hold you back and stop you being properly joined to the body. So maybe it's time to grow up this morning, as Ephesians puts it, and say yes to what Jesus is asking you, that you're going to take your rightful place in his body starting today, both giving and receiving. And I think it's all summed up in the very last verse of that passage that we've been reading this morning. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's time to agree with him. Let's, each of us, take our place, shall we?